Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. So welcome guys to another one of our special episodes. One of the new formats we have is just Teresa and I speaking about whatever is on our hearts, whatever comes up and literally can go anywhere. So, you know, we're, we're re-christening these, these episodes, T ampersand T. So there's no confusion. It's just Teresa and myself having a one-on-one conversation about something we've learned in the week, something that we've learned through coaching, something we want to share with a wider audience rather than just on a one-to-one basis. Today, we might be touching on things about listening, which is important for, for both of us. And then uh, we've got some really great practices around emotional awareness, mindfulness, and general well-being. So enjoy. Like It's an interesting question because what I tell myself about how I listen and how I remember seems to then be what I end up doing instead of if I change the definition of how I actually listen, what I'm actually capable of doing, that might actually shift my ability in doing it. You know, you think you can, and that's exactly what you can. And if you think differently, well, then maybe you can do differently. (laughs) What? That sounds oddly familiar. It does, doesn't it? The interesting thing is that you you listen to it and record it, but you, you don't necessarily listen to it and respond to it or react to it or act on it. Then it's a case of record posterity, maybe throw it in the bin, maybe repeat it. And then third time of actually acting on it. <laughs> it's really doubling down on your fighting against the impulsive reaction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The impulsive reaction was like, I could remember. We, we, I, I just had this conversation not that long ago. I could remember what we talked about and be able to draw that out when, when I need it. And truth be told, I have a very difficult time drawing things out from the past and remembering things that we had talked about. Sometimes it's as quick as a minute ago. Oh, can you repeat what you just said? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't listening to myself. Yeah. And so I didn't really hear what I was saying. I was just sort of saying, but not listening at the same time. I don't really know what that is. Does that mean that you're not really present? You're not really paying full attention to either the, uh, the person who's being listened to or even to yourself? It's just coming through you. You don't even really know what you're saying. I remember we had someone on the show and you're like, oh my God, that was great. Repeat that. And they went, I don't know what I just said. It just comes through. And <laughs> okay, it's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's recorded. Just hit rewind and listen to it later. It is so true. So to that point, when I find myself as a guest on a podcast, when they ask a question and then, you know, as the host, they continue to speak for a little bit to give some context to it or some of their ideas to that point before then I answer or I engage, I find myself needing to write down my initial response to the question because I'm like, I'll forget. I'll forget that this is what I want to talk about. And so I'll write it down quickly and then I'll continue to listen to them. And I have to write it down because if I don't in that moment, I won't remember based on their question what it is that I wanted to say, or I'll lose my train of thought really quickly as I, as soon as I start to speak because of the context and information that comes in between. So I think I'm able to stay present, but then I really lose my train of thought to answering whatever question was around it. I just want to talk about what they were talking about. I don't really want to answer a question at that point. 
and is there a difference between when you're answering a question about you like you're the host you're the guest or when you're the coach and you're responding to them do you find it the same difficulty of remembering or having to write notes and things or is it different when it's not you that's the subject yep it's different when it's not me as the subject there is another great truth where you can just cut through with a very succinct answer in the same way that you can ask a very rambling question that I might often do and then suddenly bring it back just into a point and then everyone's like, where's this going? What are we and then there's the question and then, oh, what did he say? I don't know. And then you have to give them a, a respectful moment to pause and uh, reflect on it. But I'm reminded of, you know, the people that we've had on here who've told us to, you know, never make notes and, and and to always be paying attention and not worry about the thoughts that come up that escape that you don't attach to knowing that or believing that if they're worth repeating if they're worth you know sharing they'll come back I remember when we heard that I thought what <laughs> what's this how can I not make notes like making notes shows that I'm paying attention I want to write down every I don't want to miss anything that you said but at the same time I'm always a sentence or two behind and, you know, you can hone those skills over time and, and get that gap smaller and, and maybe balance the two. But it wasn't until they kind of really acknowledged the simplicity of that or the ease of doing that, because you probably think in your head, oh, I could never do that. It will just be lost and I forgot everything. And how will I really get any value out of this? But he was right. And the things that are valuable seem to stick and you might get lost in the conversation and have a really great question, which often happens in the podcast or any dialogue and before I always used to worry that oh no I've lost that brilliant question but now I know that <laughs> if it really was that brilliant it wasn't just me thinking it was brilliant it will come back. Very true I do find in coaching you know I keep a folder a classic file folder for every client and I've got lined paper in there I've got their EQI report I've got email communications I print them off I stick them all I like a paper visible hard copy in my hand and when I'm in coaching sessions, I have it open to a fresh sheet of paper to be able to take notes on while they're speaking. And all of my clients know that. I set it up in advance. I'm like, I do take notes while you're speaking of important things for me to remember. And I also find that when I stop taking notes, when they're simply recollecting a week, describing their breakthroughs, talking about how an exercise went, replaying a conversation, if I am not note-taking and I'm simply listening, when we get to the end of their expression, because generally the end might be 10, 15, 20, sometimes even 30 minutes down the road. My only job up to that point has been like, tell me more and what else? When did that happen? Why did that happen? I'm just probing in the moment. Then the whole story that they share becomes the, so this week's exercise is. Like it's basically <laughs> the next point for them to continue to progress. I didn't really need in the moment to come up with brilliant questions. Really, I just needed them to keep talking. That's, that's all I really needed to do. And I do find that remembering that piece when you're on this side of the microphone, when you're not the guest, when you're the host, the interviewer, the coach, it's much more important to probe and listen and know what the next probe needs to be compared to what's the next brilliant question. To mm. I would agree with that. And I'd say there's probably a slight difference there from, from the coaching point of view where you are literally just kind of encouraging them to keep going further and really trying hard not to inject anything of your own self or perceptions or even agenda into, you know, oh, I can see where this conversation is going, but to pull back. Whereas if I'm on a podcast, probably have more of a, 
more of an inkling that I need to be thinking of a, a question, especially in, in when we do it because we kind of have a, a different approach from it. So I could be following the conversation, your question, the answer, and I could respond to that. But in a way, I feel like sometimes it's better to have a juxtapose of mm -hmm. a crazy left field question from, from my brain as opposed to a <laughs> crazy left field question from your brain. And they both kind of meet the guests in a kind of comfortable shared space, mm -hmm. but from different sides. So sometimes when we have, they have those revelations, we go, like Claude the other day, I was just doing the clip today and there was a clip in it and she goes, this is what I do, blah, blah, blah. And then I put myself out there. And then you could see as she kind of like took a pause and was like, I've never said it like that. I never actually shared that. And I was like, yes, that's what we're here. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, I can think of many times when, when other people have had that. So uh i don't know how that relates to the question about note-taking but <laughs> the, <laughs> the practice of what what you need to remember when you're in dialogue yeah. what do you actually need to remember and i think there's very little we have to remember as in you said these particular words sometimes that's necessary sometimes the other person gets to a point where they ask themselves the brilliant question and you're just the mirror to be able to say did you just hear what you said you said these words and we're just saying it back to them to allow them then to auditorially process it because at first they may not have been like i listen sometimes i'm not listening to what i'm actually saying when i'm speaking and so i'm sure other people also have experiences that when they're speaking especially if you're recounting ranting exploring and following the emotional curve of it you don't remember everything that comes out of your mouth and having someone on the other side to go hey you just said something really interesting and repeat it back to them allows that person to take what came out from inside of them as you and i know you, everything you need is inside of you to move you to the next piece sometimes you just need someone else to um unlock it for you to be in that space, to highlight it, to go rewind there a second. What about give you an opposite perspective or give you the question that forces you into looking from the other side? So I'm not saying I never make notes when we have conversations, not when you and I talk, because, you know, just kind of so important, it just sticks. But right. when I'm having conversations or maybe I'll just like a word or, or a phrase or something and to come back to and, and well, that stuck out in my mind. So it must be a reason. And I'll come back to that rather than repeating the whole thing or going, oh, what does this mean? But then also, so sometimes I guess will come on and they'll have a kind of a persona that they'll play that or they'll have a story or they'll have a, a routine. And I, don't, I mean, in a wholly respectful way that they, they're telling their story. So in a way, there is a routine to it. There is a normal narrative to it. So you could just be a passive listener and just say, well, OK, what, and then happen. And then what? And then what? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay, anyone who's heard you speak before has probably heard this story. So maybe if I can kind of come in with something from a different angle, it'll stop you in that kind of automated mechanism that you find yourself in, as I'm sure you do. Someone tells you, why is EQ important? What does it mean to you? And you're like, well, there are lots of reasons, but here's the story. This is what happened when I was 12, blah, 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 all these kind of things, uh, <laughs> which uh, you know, can have cathartic reasons for repeating, but I think it's important. And what we do is try to not avoid the obvious question but maybe ask a more incisive question yeah it reminds me of i can't remember I, I can't remember when i heard it as in length of time ago <laughs> sounds familiar yeah totally sounds familiar. no it could have been 10 no I, I know i was an adult <laughs> and i know i was maybe around 40 so maybe in the last decade that i learned when you go to disney they train their employees how to respond to the question, where's the bathrooms? 
because when you're working in the park, you're asked that question as employee approximately every 10 seconds. So could you imagine being at work and getting the same question over and over again every 10 seconds, how quickly we might start to then like just point in the direction, not even say anything, just point. <laughs> how we might go, Jesus, why doesn't anybody around here know where the bathrooms are? And then like it's over there. And yet as an organization, they understand the person that's asking you doesn't know that you've been asked that question 200 times today and you're only halfway through your shift and that someone 10 seconds behind them is about to ask you the exact same question. And so when you respond to them, you respond like it's the very first time you've heard that question. Mm -hmm. Because from them, it's the very first time they've asked you that question. And I think that's a there's a really beautiful, there was a beautiful lesson in that for me. Number one in parenting was a beautiful lesson in there for me because oftentimes kids will ask you the same question over and over and over and over again. And you know, that can wear on your nerves really quickly. And then number two, when people ask me questions that I've already answered a gazillion times over, they don't know. They are asking because they don't know. They want to know. I mean, the question asking has nothing to do with me. It has to do with what they need and a gap and a curiosity they have. And they came to me to fill it. So it's my job to fill it. Absolutely. And also lay on top of that, you know, these people at Disney might also be playing roles or in characters and, you know, to throw these other things in when we're all playing different roles in different jobs as a parent or as a, as an employee or as a leader or whatever it might be. And then also you talked about, you know, people coming at you, you have an expectation of them coming their question perhaps, but then you don't really know. You're just, if we put it into more of a coaching point, you're supposing what their baggage, what they're, what they're bringing to the table. You don't know until you've actually taken the time to explore it and unpack it, but you might have a reaction or a trigger response that is associated with, oh, he's asking me the same question. This is my answer. And not really, okay, it's the same question, but why is he or why is she, uh, why is that imp question important to, to them? Mm -hmm. And this is where conversations with Reese and I always get tremendously interesting. In the dynamic of how we speak, our worlds often come back to conscious leadership, awareness, emotional intelligence. And here we move into our discussion where we explore the connection now between these elements of how we listen, how we probe, what we hear, what we explore, and the underpinnings of emotional intelligence. Like from that point, we're talking about then our emotional drivers. We're really talking about what is triggering me in that moment. What thinking am I stuck in? What beliefs are showing up? What values are showing up? What emotions am I experiencing because of those things? And then how do those play on each other to push me into the spiral of an emotional hijack? Which is then when I'm behaving in a way that I'm probably going to regret. I'm going to feel badly about and then comes the blame. I push the blame outward, the shame. I push the shame inward. And then we have this repeated, you know, just put that on repeat for a lot of people. That is day in and day out, the emotional experience. And then we wonder why so many people struggle with their well-being. Well, that for me, that's why people struggle with their well-being is a lack of emotional self-awareness, of understanding those components of beliefs and emotions and the associations to those beliefs. One of the things I love about so many of your social media posts is that you remind us of 
our suffering comes from our attachments and our attachments are those things that we believe in are our values we attach to meaning to everything and that meaning in essence creates then the suffering that we experience out of it mm. sometimes i think i know for me in my experience and a lot of my clients there are certain things you have to say many times over before they go now i know what you meant four weeks ago when you said because now I'm at a place where I understand these other elements that allow me to understand that thing from four weeks ago. Yeah. When you say meaning attachment associations, I totally get it now. And now I see it like I am creating my own internal turmoil. Like, yes. And you have full control to change that. Yeah. So yeah, it reminds me of what you used to tell me right at the start about, you know, the coaching process and that you can explain something in the moment whilst it's obviously obvious to you because you're the one in the teaching role, the other person might say, yeah, oh yeah, I get it, I get it. But it's only till you kind of see that later down the line and you see how it's impacted them and they come back to you with a, a story and experience that resonates with that teaching that also implies to you that they haven't just heard you, they've actually taken action of it and absorbed into being like a behaviour. So you're all the time in the coaching, you're painting a picture for them well, they're painting the picture really, but you're kind of, you're helping in some way without directing too much and then kind of giving them different lenses or magnifications or whatever it might be so that slowly each week part of the picture becomes a bit clearer and then hopefully by the, you know, six months then they can stand back and, and see the whole picture and see where the next path is going. So that's a great analogy because sometimes the coach actually has to give them the tool. They, don't, they can't paint part of their picture because they don't even have the tool to paint it yet. And the coach's responsibility is to help develop a skill, which is essentially a tool for that client to then be able to use. And how you layer those in as a coach to client relationship depends on every single client. So you got to know a lot of strategies and techniques, which perhaps is then a great place for us to share what we've learned in our own exploration around a couple of different acronyms in the space of emotional intelligence, the ABCDEs, RAIN and RULER, which is all work by someone else, but let's bring it forward and share with people like how the heck do we wrap our brains around this stuff and do good things with it? Sure. Did you want to go first with the RULER one? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. RULER, Mark Brackett, permission to feel. Also, yeah. if you go to ruler.org, I think it's called, or if you go to Mark Brackett's website and, and look up ruler, you'll find the ruler.org and the initiatives and programming that come out of this, that he's doing amazing work in schools for children, which is just yeah. like, it just warms my heart because I think, yes, let's get it into the education system. Let's get it into our kids' hands so that this generation can become emotionally intelligent, which just means everyone's mm -hmm. going to benefit. So I'm really happy about that. So one of the things because it's for kids maybe i mean for everyone and in permission to feel as a book this acronym is in there as well to take you through these five layers of emotional intelligence and understanding your feelings and what i love most about the acronym is it isn't just recognize understand label express and regulate it isn't just five words you have to pay attention to the words that come after the first one because the context of it is really super important. So recognize emotions in self and others. We get cues, I think, all the time that we just choose to ignore. And even exploring, like, why would I ignore that I see someone crying? I see someone shrinking in front of me. And instead of stopping my bullying behavior, I just take it up to the next level. 
why would I ignore the emotions occurring within other people? Maybe because I'm ignoring the ones that are occurring within me. Maybe because that was modeled behavior. No one around me acknowledges my emotions. So I'm just going to do the same to other people because that's what I know. That recognition piece is really critical. Mm. Then understanding the causes and consequences of those emotions. So how it shows up in our behavior and what triggered us in the first place. Trigger acknowledgement, I think, is one of the most critical pieces in emotional self-awareness because then you can start to be proactive towards them. A lot of times it's just like watching yourself like a hawk for weeks on end to be able to pick up on all of the things that trigger you. And many people might be surprised if you're journaling it in a notebook, you're like, wow, I get triggered by a lot of stuff. Yeah. I get triggered by people writing in their journals uh, incessantly <laughs> during a meeting. <laughs> That's fantastic. So then, uh, then it comes to like label emotions with nuanced vocabulary. And so Mark Brackett provides the emotions chart, which is, you know, how are you feeling and breaks it down in some four quadrants, red, yellow, blue, green makes it super easy for us to look at. Yeah. Red are those anger based emotions. Blue are those sad based ones. Yellow is happy based and green are much more of the serene, calming type emotions, meditative type emotions that we experience. And I think what's critical here is nuanced vocabulary. We have to know the difference between merry, joy, excitement. We need to know the difference between frustrated, annoyed, irritated, because when we learn to pick up on the signals, we can regulate a lot faster. If we don't pick up, if we miss the signal because we don't have the nuanced vocabulary, then generally what happens is we don't respond until we're into the hijack already. Hmm. Yeah, into the differentiate between the different levels, we immediately go straight to the top and already out of control. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now I have to apologize. I have to course correct. Uh, you know, the blaming and the shaming comes up. And uh, if we could just avoid all of that, that would be fantastic. <laughs> then express. And expression is really quite beautiful under the ruler acronym because expression happens according to or in alignment with cultural context social context and so how i express has to be inclusive of what and who is around me and i think that distinction when we express is so important to the social awareness of emotional intelligence that my eq practices aren't just for me they're also to help influence the emotional state of other people around me in a non-manipulative way interpersonal relationships is uh I know that we generally say that the emotional self-awareness is probably the foundation of the 15 skills. Yes. For me, then pretty close behind would be the interpersonal relationships because it's one thing to master your own, have the awareness of yourself, but to be able to understand what else is going on in the room or in the conversation or in the family mm-hmm. is going to be super important. You know, it's great to have that realization for yourself, but if that's where it stops, it's only going to be so useful and you need to be able to connect the two and connect all of them. For me, that's always important, but sorry, continue. No, <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's great. I love the, the color commentary that's added in. And then the last stage is like regulate with helpful strategies. A lot of the times, you know, I'm giving, <laughs> okay, client, what do you want to try? What has worked before? And they're like, you know what? I've never meditated or done mindfulness or breathing exercises. I'm going to try those. I've heard that they're helpful. I'm like, great, go for it. And then they try it for a week and they come back and they're like, the breathing didn't work. Maybe I need to try harder. I'm like, no, you don't need to try harder. 
you need a different strategy. This one doesn't work for you. And it's okay if it doesn't work for you. And they did listen to your question. They said, what has worked for you before? And then they said, well, I have never tried these things. Is it? Maybe they'll work. <laughs> well, hang on. <laughs> oh, it didn't work for you this week. As a surprise. <laughs> That's turns, out, yeah. <laughs> turns, turns out deep breathing just reminds me of a dragon. <laughs> and when I start thinking about a dragon, I start thinking about fire from there. <laughs> I started attack. hyperventilating and uh, it just yeah. got me more anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners, that could be a really effective acronym to remember when you're exploring your own emotional intelligence, when you're exploring, I don't want to behave in this particular way anymore. How can I start to adjust that? So the next one, you're going to take us through RAIN. Yeah. And just on that last bit, it reminded me that these acronyms are really good learning tools. The emphasis on an acronym is to make it easy to remember and easy to learn so that you don't have to be like, oh, stop. What do I need to do? So that's all about RAIN. So this one is probably perhaps more in the mindfulness regime, I would say. I know that it comes from a few places. I've seen Tara Brack talk about it. Um, but for me, Sharon Salzberg is the one that I like because she's probably a bit more in, in my own wheelhouse. So R is also recognize, um, acknowledge, similar to what you just said, and then investigate and then non-identify, which I think is the really differentiating one between this and, and some of the other acronyms. So. So if you're dealing with a sort of difficult emotion, as we say, it's important to start to be able to notice what comes up to, to acknowledge the feeling and allow it to, to just be. And then you can investigate by asking questions, remembering that curiosity brings us closer rather than further away and remove the need to identify ourselves with a given emotion. So to give you an example, sometimes you can, before you even get into the RAIN situation, so rain is maybe something you do in the moment, and then you can use this exercise to do as a, a reflection after it. So you kind of review a recent difficult situation, a conflict or an emotion, found it hard to deal with. So number one is the intensity of the emotion. Often the more intense it is, the more it prohibits you from communicating in, in the most effective and most authentic way to you. You kind of have this trigger response. It's not necessarily really your true self. And then number two, is about using the perspective to review the emotions that you felt during the conflict. You can do this before you do the RAIN method or you can do it as a sort of self-reflection afterwards. So for example, if you're starting from a place of anger or for fear, for sadness or resentful, these hurtful feelings, the things that were said out of reaction rather than necessarily out of a truth. And if you can identify which emotions come up, think about the alternative situations when you could or you did practice RAIN or some other self-regulating to mindfulness tools. What happens when you recognize how you were feeling when you acknowledge the situation for what it was how does it feel to investigate the situation and your emotions with the curiosity does non-identifying help expose the areas where we may become blinded by our fear or our anxiety mm. and then write down your thoughts and reflections about your reactions to the exercise perhaps even try rewriting the story in, in a present tense as if you're actively going through those rain steps to see how sort of powerful it can be. So in terms of the process, yeah, you're recognizing the feeling, you're recognizing what it is and you're identifying it and you need that vocabulary and that understanding to differentiate between I feel angry to I feel annoyed, irritated, pissed off or irate, whatever level it is. And then acknowledging that feeling and not trying to, you know, deny it or move past it, just let it be and understand how that makes you feel, not just how it makes you feel emotionally or mentally or physically, because you always, you know, you always like to include the, the, the physical side of it. 
the body and it's always going to give you more information if you kind of tune into it and understand what it's saying absolutely um, and then you can kind of keep investigating and then the non-identifying bit is the realization that that reaction is not really you it's not who you truly are it was just really an impulse which again ties us back to one of the tenets of emotional intelligence yeah impulse control one of my favorites actually yeah <laughs> yeah before we move on to that last one i so love using the acronym rain and then i was thinking about what is it like when i'm in the rain and when i'm in the rain generally my head gets wet first recognition for me personally is a very cerebral activity because the practice of mindfulness is not something I do on such a regular basis that I always pick up on things from the physical nature first. I tend to pick up on things from a cerebral. So what I'm thinking about, I tend to pay more attention to that. It makes sense like, oh, recognize. For me, it's like up in your head, Teresa, think about what you're thinking about. And then acknowledging as, it, as the rain moves down my body, acknowledgement for me does sit within the upper part of my chest. It sits within my heart. Where I'm like, yes, okay, this is exactly what I'm feeling right now. And that's okay. And investigation for me feels always manifests in the pit of my stomach. Like curiosity as a feeling in the bottom of my belly. When I'm truly being curious, that's where I feel it or experience it. And then the non-identifying for me is a full body experience. That it's everything. That it's heart, that it's head, that it's gut to try to non-identify with something, to try to remove that this is part of me, that it isn't part of me and, and kind of unwire that hmm. experience. Yeah, it's like when you're standing, when it's a storm and you're outside and it's a veranda or something and you can hear the rain, you understand, you feel the sensation of it even though you're not physically in it because you can you know, associate those times when you were standing in the rain, but you have all those sort of feelings because you're connected to it, but you're more in a, in that witness position that we talk about. And that's what that non-identification bit and the awareness bit where it comes in that you realize that whatever happened that time isn't me, it was just a reaction. And so I can go back and review that or next time I see that I can say, hang on, this is what could happen. And I think that leads us nicely into the ABCDE, if I remember it rightly. <laughs> yeah. So rain and ruler great things to use in the moment, great acronyms to use and in the moment to use them. ABCDE is a much more pen to paper exercise we do behind the curtain. So at the end of the day, taking a look at what were my notable emotional events? What were things that caused me to get emotional? Regardless of the emotion, anything that swung you or swung your pendulum to the extremes of your experience. So it could be like extreme happiness, extreme anger, both are worthy of our dissection and time to understand ourselves a lot more. And this, I think, comes back to how we label under ruler, labeling our emotions, not just naming it with nuance, but do we label it good or bad? And in emotional intelligence, it isn't just about figuring out the bad labeled emotions, <laughs> the ones that are most unpleasant and uncomfortable. It's about exploring our understanding of all of our emotional experiences. So I find ABCD is really good to remember at the end of the day, when you do this exercise, pick one that was a pleasant emotion, pick one that was an unpleasant emotion and examine. Mm -hmm. So the first A is activation. The activation trigger, what set you off and recounting the details of where were you, who were you with, what was going on? And then B is recounting beliefs. So what were you thinking about? What thoughts ran through your head? 
recount the internal dialogue narrative storytelling. C is consequences. So what happened then? How did you behave? How did somebody else behave? Remember it's self and others. So you're looking at what did you see them do? And this is really where we need to turn on like our objectivity. What did we actually see people doing? <laughs> what did we actually do? Then D is where the work comes in because up to this point, you're really just recalling D is the work of debate, dispute, and discard. So yeah. everything in the B column is stuff that ran through our head, narrative storytelling, you know, and because many of our thoughts repeat from the past, we're in a looping pattern of thinking that drives our behavior. So when we debate and dispute these things, we're really trying to reprogram our thinking, but we can't reprogram what we're not aware of. So that's why it's important to be, what did I believe? And then debate it. Where's the proof that this belief is actually true? Where's the proof that this story you're telling is actually true? If you were to look at it from their perspective, would the story and beliefs be the same? If you were to give a generous assumption of character and intention, what would your belief pattern be then? If Mother Teresa or Gandhi or Bishop Tutu were sitting in front of this and interpreting it, what would their interpretation be? It'd be completely different than the one that you have. And that kind of perspective looking begins the rewiring process. Because it doesn't matter if we actually are thinking about it in the moment or we're learning to think from a different perspective outside of events, we're creating the neural pathways for those to be options. So next time we're in an event that's very similar to this one, we'll have these thoughts as options to think of. And what that ends up doing is it creates the E, the effects of column D of debating and disputing and discarding is that we would behave differently. So how would I now have behaved in this moment if my perspective was broadened, if my thinking was different, probably way differently than we actually did in column C. And that's how we learn in behind the curtains work in emotional intelligence to create for ourselves thinking, and skills and emotional intelligence that we can then end up using in the moment. Yeah, it seems like the first three are all very insular, ego-driven kind of thing. And it's only until you can let that go and have that dialogue debate, disprove, or sorry, whatever they were, <laughs> disprove. I remember in the book that we both read about this, there's a, there's a story about, you know, someone who's been away to college and boyfriend and girlfriend since all school and now suddenly she didn't return his phone call or didn't come and see him straight away when he came home. And so because of this, you know, there's been a gap, there's been a, a separation between them. Suddenly all these thoughts start coming through and all these negative things and all the assumptions that you talked about. And he starts thinking, oh, she doesn't like me. She's moved on. Whatever these kind of things, which I'm sure you can all uh, appreciate. And then he goes on about all the consequences and stuff. And it wasn't until he actually took the time to <laughs> go over and speak to her and have a conversation and did some real dialogue as opposed to monologue that everything became evident and it was a just a simple misunderstanding but so many of us for whatever reason don't have the opportunity to have that dialogue we only sit with the monologue the monologue gets replayed over and over and over day in day out sometimes there'll be a positive spin on it someone might share something but as we've also learned from other guests we've had on you know we're far more connected and attached to the negative things than we are to the positive things and we we put more of a importance on those things. I don't know why, but you know, you have to ask one of the neuroscience people to, to fill in that one. But all of it could be alleviated by a simple human-to-human -human connection and having a conversation and getting out of your own head. You know, if you can't do that by talking to a coach or a friend or something like that. 
you know, if our listeners are going, wait a second, what's the one thing I want to take away from today? Because they shared three different techniques. We jumped into some other strategies that can be used. What you just said was really resonated with me. So I felt it from my inside and I went, yes. Am I monologuing or dialoguing? What a simple, powerful question that when we're in the throes of emotions, to be able to just stop and ask yourself that question, am I monologuing or dialoguing? And every, every time you do that acknowledgement, go, I'm totally monologuing. That means you're missing a lot of information. <laughs> and more often than not, very inaccurate about the information that's going on in the first place. It's only, that's only through your lens, through your experience, through your biases and judgments. I think that's a really powerful practice that people could probably put into play straight away if they want to start making an impact on number one, their emotional intelligence, their emotional experience, and their well-being is stop the internal narrative and open up the floor to a conversation. Exactly. But beware, because the mind is a very tricky thing and it's easy for it to, <laughs> for that monologue to switch to, to a conversation or, or three things you're like, oh, I'm witnessing myself doing this, talking about this. So hang on, what is it then? And you're just kind of getting carried away into even more of a spiral. So basically <laughs> stop containing it in yourself and find that release, whether that's your friends, your partner, your, your children or your coach. So this has been another episode of TNT with Reese and Teresa one-on-one as always my friend great to be able to have these discussions with you and to you thank you for reminding me of those uh, eq super facts acronyms that uh, i to go back to our first point about the things that we remember and the things that we do priority yeah <laughs> full circle <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of tnt please share subscribe rate and review And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.